total truth. No, 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 no. See the way society is built today, like a trap. It's built in a way that keeps you in the dark. Cause if your light shines through, you might figure out who and what you are. A magnificent being. Don't be scared of that. Do not be scared. That's why I'm here to help you remember. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on where you're at on this beautiful planet or this amazing universe. Mark Sanchez here. Welcome to Brown and Spiritual AF. I'm with the amazing, beautiful, talented, gifted Dr. Isela Garcia. So um, what are we going to be talking about today? I know the last episodes have been a lot about our interesting encounters <laughs> throughout life and a little bit of spirituality but today we're going to touch a little bit more on what spirituality is and what it means to us um did i get that right yeah <clears throat> i think what i really wanted to talk about today is sort of our grounding ourselves in our spiritual beliefs and maybe talking a little bit about the journey of where we how we got from point a to point b uh, I think there are a lot of folks who are, we're all on this journey, um, where we are in this journey is very unique to um, each of us as individuals. And so I kind of wanted to just share how we've landed where we've landed <laughs> so far. Um, and so one of the things that I asked Mark was to kind of come up with three significant spiritual values, beliefs, perspectives. And so we're going to share that with you today. Do you have one you want to start with, Mark? Yes, I do, actually. There's so many. It's like, how do you choose? How do you pick, right? So right. and um, so we're just going to kind of, we're going to play this by ear. But the number one that came to my mind when you said this is um, treat your body like a temple, mm. right? That was very strong when, because what, what had happened was when you messaged me that and I was on my way to the gym, ah. right? So I've been fortunate in life at a young age that I was naturally athletic built. Right. I was natural build. I had natural abilities and whatnot. Well, what I took for granted was that I thought I was going to be like that forever. I thought, you know what? I'm young. I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And then people would tell me, you're not going to be like that forever. And I was like, yeah, whatever. How am I going to, <laughs> how is this going to change? Right. Well, lo and behold, not treating my body like a temple through my 20s. Right. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but over an extended period of time of drinking alcohol and putting, not so great foods into my body, right? I worked in a Mexican restaurant, right? And so imagine working in a Mexican restaurant, right? I love Mexican food. And then there's and tacos and rice and beans. And there's a lot of ingredients that are in this food that are not so great for the body, right? And I'm not saying Mexican food is bad for you. However, when you're eating it constantly over a long period of time, you might put on a few pounds. <laughs> right. Right. So what happened was, boom, man, let's just say my late 20s, early 30s, I had gained a significant amount of weight, right? Amazing amount where I didn't recognize who I was. And um, it just tripped me out because um, not thinking about it at the time, right? Um, treat your body like a temple. That's something we've heard. Um, but a lot, do a lot of people really, do they, do they take it seriously, mm -hmm. right? Or what is the context of that? I didn't really understand that until I was faced with a, um, a decision to make right? When diabetes runs in the family, it's genetic, right? When your grandpa had passed away at a young age from diabetes, right? You kind of just tend to believe that that's the way it's going to go and you're going to have to deal with that. Well, me being scared of needles and the doctor saying that you're going to have to give yourself insulin, right? that scared the shit out of me, right? And I thought to myself, I might want to make a change. And so that thought and idea of treat your body like a temple really kicked in, right, for me. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, who has control over this body? Well, I think I do. I could be a victim of my circumstances, say it was McDonald's fault, Coca-Cola's fault. It was my family's genes fault that I'm in a, that they gave me this, um, what would you say, average opportunity of getting diabetes or whatever sickness you want to say runs in your family. Or I could say, you know what? There's a lot of shit I don't believe in life, and this could be one of them that I don't. And how can I change this? Right. And so, <laughs> boom, lo and behold, taking care of your body like a temple, treating it like a temple was actually the beginning of my spiritual journey. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, you know, and I think in this world, a lot of people struggle with um, treating their body like a temple. Mm -hmm. And I remember in our previous podcast, you had talked about that. 
as you shared now, but it was really the beginning for you. Um, it was sort of the platform. And at the time, it was really you just learning to pay attention. And, you know, when I when I listen to you talk about this, because I, I what I'm trying to do is find sort of the undercurrent too, like what's happening, right? What's happening at a deeper spiritual level. And I think that part of what you're describing is that awareness, right? That real being fully aware of what goes into your mouth, how you're treating your body, like being fully present with that. I think many of us, um, and I say us sort of in this general, this general perspective, is that we are so disconnected from our state of being, from our emotions, from just the awareness of what we are doing, that we just ignore things like paying attention to our bodies. We ignore um, because we're so busy, wrapped up in the ideas, the thoughts, and the things that are happening around us that we kind of move through the motions without paying attention, without being connected and being aware of what's happening within us. Very, very, very well, right? So, and I think about this now because I can reverse engineer this because we're having this conversation now so I could kind of connect it now, right? When I was going through my younger years, I was very also um, active, right? Out playing basketball, out just doing things in life. But for whatever reason, as we... As we go upon this journey, we enter the workforce and we we get relationships and we have family issues or whatnot. We, we, we tend to put a lot of energy towards that kind of stuff. And then we forget about what we used to do and what used to bring us joy and happiness. Right. We for some reason, I stopped playing basketball for a while. I stopped doing the things that I that I was normally active. So I went to the workforce. Right. And I spent stressful hours there. Right. And then around people. And then when I get home, I just want to just do nothing. Right. right. And so no movement also. Right. That's the movement issue. Energy is movement. And then and like think about a river. Right. A river is constantly flowing and in motion and they tend to be really, really clean. You could like drink out of them if you really wanted to. But when you get to a pond. Right. That same water from the river could have gotten to that pond. But then that pond doesn't move and it's stagnant. And what happens? Bacteria starts to build up and disease starts to grow and then it gets muddy and ucky and you can't drink that water. Right. So that happened to my body. And it was and it was and it wasn't only suffocating me physically, but it was suffocating me mentally mm. and spiritually. However, I wasn't at that time it was happening. I wasn't aware of the spirituality moment that happened. However, anxiety started to take over. Right. And then different things and that awareness of my body and things changing. I thought to myself, wait a minute, I might want to listen to this. You know, I might want to listen to this. Right. And that awareness, like I said, of being scared of the doctor, <laughs> made me think it was enough to say, hey, I don't, I don't want to be popping pills. I don't want to be taking medicines and getting injections and all that shit. How, how can I stay away from that? Right. So my body was warning me in a sense. And that's where that awareness popped in. I didn't know it at the time, but it was it was giving me a heads up. Right. Like my mom would call me say, hey, mijo, well, this one was my body. And fortunately, I listened to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what you just that little part right there, fortunately, I listened to it. I call them, and this comes in all ways, shapes, or forms, is the whispers of the universe. And so for each one of us, there's this little whisper that happens. And that's our intuition. That's our connection to source. That's our alignment with the truth of who we are. But we are conditioned to ignore that shit. Um, you know, we're conditioned to not step into the truth of that for lots of reasons, for how you know, the persona we've created, how we are interacting with friends and family, um, the expectations that others have of us. There's lots of reasons why, um, you know, at fear, we're afraid. There are lots of reasons why we ignore the whispers of the universe. And, and unfortunately, my belief is that when you don't listen to the whispers of the universe, a two by four comes across your head, and that's the, it takes us down. And that's to the point sometimes where we have that um, dark night of the soul, because, you know, it's like the universe is saying, I, we, we told you and we told you and we told you and you didn't listen. So maybe this will help you. <laughs> maybe this will help you. Now, 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 if I listened to the family right now, let's take it back to the family aspect and watching your family evolve over time, right? What happened in a lot of our families, right? Well, they continue to stay home more times, right? Especially the women that stay home and they would cook and they want to go do the things that they wanted to do. They were at home doing the the chores per se, right? And our 
they would get together and their form of activities was getting together at the table and gossiping, right? Getting together at the table and drinking beer or drinking coffee and like not moving at all, right? So growing up seeing this, we thought, well, this is what the future is going to be like because the men would be outside barbecuing, right? And doing their thing. The women are all inside taking care of the stuff inside. And you think to yourself like, whoa. And then it, it continued to be a cycle, right? Because even they stopped doing the actions, even they started eating, like not paying attention to that kind of stuff. There was nobody there to really show us how things were supposed to be. They just kind of just, just went along with it and just did it like unconsciously, I guess. So you can look at these people, right? I could look at them. I could look at my family members, but like, wow, is that what I'm, I'm going to need two chairs to sit down in a couple of years. That's what I have to look forward to. Right. And then nobody tells each other anything. Right. They don't say, oh, look, you're they just kind of accept it because it's the norm. It's like, yeah, that's what happened. You grow, you get older. And once you stop growing this way, you start growing that way. Right. Right. And then and then they made it seem like it was a good thing to have a big belly. Oh, I could eat, bro. Oh, I could eat. Right. And even the women would be like, yeah, my my handsome man over here, he can eat a lot. I take care of him good. And they looked at it as taking care of them good. But in reality, you're killing that mother lover. Right. right? And they yeah. don't see it that way. That's crazy to me. It's but like, it's, that's a cultural thing, though. I mean, really look at it from a cultural perspective. Not that it's I'm not saying that it's positive. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that, you know, I, I remember, just, I mean, even when I reflect on my family, the way that you love someone is you give them food. You know, and I remember telling my husband the first time he ever went to my Nana's house, you know, they're going to want to feed you. So you have to graciously accept that food because if you don't, they will never love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true statement. It's fucked up, but it's true. Right. <laughs> you need a great, and my husband, I say that to him because he's so picky. Oh my goodness. It was like, you know, I remember when we first met, he was like, I don't eat onions. I don't eat cheese. I don't eat tomatoes. I don't eat sour cream. I don't eat guacamole. I'm like, well, then this relationship is over <laughs> because I'm Mexican. <laughs> and what you described was Mexican food. And so um, I, I said to him, you just have to graciously take the food. And then at one point I'll take the plate from you and I'll throw away whatever you don't eat, but act like you're eating <laughs> because it's so culturally a part, I think of, how people express love. You know, when I leave my Nana's house or my uh, stepmom's house, you know, I leave with a plate, you know, I always leave with a plate. So that that's, it's a condition. It's the conditioning within our culture that that's how we express love. Yes. And to break away from that. I mean, it really, they're like, I mean, how, who do you think, you know, you think you're better than us. You know, when you start to shift how you do things in your life. I mean, dare I say I buy organic fruits and vegetables. You know what I mean? They're like, what the fuck is organic fruits and vegetables? <laughs> uh-huh. Like you're gonna pay all that money for that shit. <laughs> yeah. And then they say, oh now you're eating like a white person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, no. I'm eating like a healthy spiritual <laughs> being. That's what it is. But if that's white to you, well then okay. Yes. You but know that's truth though. The truth is there is that perspective and, and Lord forbid, you know, people ever say to you, you know, oh what well, you think you're white, you know, because that <laughs> that's in our perspective that if you're not these cultural within the cultural norms, right? That that's you're trying to act better than us. And who's who acts better than tries to act better than us? White folks. White people, right? Yeah. There's that there's that thing again, that hierarchy, right? Yeah. That above and below and we're at the bottom of the rack and we we're not supposed to do things like them and what's like wait a minute no let, let's rewind the the clocks a little bit and let's go look at what our ancestors actually did right, right? let's see what was available at that times and why rice and beans were available to us and for what time period you could feed a lot of people for really cheap right yeah and then now we're in an age where we don't have to worry about that stuff anymore right yeah and, it, and yeah. it, we didn't, and it did not realizing how it was tied to our spirituality back then. It's just another way that it was actually blocking, right? Because if my body is a vessel, if it's an antenna, for those that don't understand this, it's it's an antenna and it's a vessel. And in order for it to run at optimal, right, you want to make sure it's as clear and clean as possible. You're not going to go cut a tree down with a dull axe, are you? No, you're going to sharpen that mother lover right? And keep it as nice and clean and handy as possible, right? So you can chop that tree down nice and simple and easy because if you want to work harder, well, then you let that shit be dull, right? But if you want to think about this from a 
a more like uh, obvious level, well, you're going to sharpen it, right? And why is the body indifferent? And why do we overlook that as not a spiritual concept? Or why isn't this stuff taught in the church or whatnot, right? Right. So I want to go one beyond. So you're talking about the physical body. I want to go into the emotional self. So one of my spiritual beliefs, um, and I mentioned it just a little bit here when you were talking about the connecting to your body. One of the things that happens, I think, to a lot of us, um, and I think this is cross-cultural, but um, I think that we are taught, many of us, that we need to stuff our emotions, that our emotions don't matter, don't count. Um, I think boys especially get this message uh, where, you know, if I'm feeling sad or frustrated or irritated, if, you know, as a young child, it's like, how many times do I have to tell you to stop that crying? You want a reason to cry? I'll give you a reason to cry. Or, you know, and basically the message is you don't have the right to feel what you feel Um, or I'm uncomfortable with your feelings. So even when there's the expression of sadness, what we do is we try to avoid um, or we try to move kids out of sadness. So we give them food, we distract them, we do other things to move them quickly out of that because I'm uncomfortable as the adult um, around my child who is feeling distressed or sad. And so over the course of years, we learn to ignore, to push down and to become disconnected from our emotional state of being. And I, part of my, it's a very strong belief system of mine, because when I started on the spiritual journey, it wasn't for spiritual purposes. I say that, but you know, it's interesting because I actually joined like seven different religions in seeking some answers, but really what I was seeking wasn't necessarily religion or God, it was peace. I was seeking a way out of my own, um, my own self-destruction. And so in my self-destruction was depression. It was repeating the cycles of abuse that occurred when I was a child. It was um, living in the space of being angry and um, reactive and a victim, you know, saying that other people are making me feel less than or unworthy of. And so my journey was really started from the self-help. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to not repeat the cycle. I wanted to be different than what I had experienced as a child. And so for me, it wasn't, you know, I learned as a, as a child not to connect to my emotions in order to survive. I disconnected from them. I pretended that everything was fine. I pretended I, I was what my mother expected me to be, because if I wasn't, there were repercussions for that, you know? Um, and she would always say, you better not be acting stupid. That was her saying, you better not be acting stupid. And so as I became an adult, disconnected, but with full intention, my intent was to have a different life experience. But because of the way the brain is wired, I simply started to repeat what was done to me. So I was still living in that misery, even though I wasn't living at home anymore. And so my journey was really trying to heal that part within me. And I think one of the things that happens spiritually, I talked about this at our last session, um, our spiritual bypass is what happens. We get so caught up in the spirituality and the spiritual teachings, but we're still disconnected from our emotional state of being. We're still disconnected from how I am experiencing life at an emotional level. And I think that that part of healing is such an integral journey, part of the journey into being in truth, because it's like what you're talking about, the physical body, but within the physical body is the emotional self. And so it kind of, they two of those things go together. And when we can really get in that alignment of healing, and for me, it was about forgiveness, forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. Um, and getting to that place really, I, for me anyway, uh, has really allowed for me to become fully present, um, and, and aware of what it is I'm experiencing. Ooh. Oh, so let me, this is what I heard. Okay. For those that don't know, those that haven't experienced this or those that are experiencing this right now and, and can't quite understand it, it. Basically what I heard is that even though you got out of the environment, with your parents, right? That trauma followed you into your new life right. unconsciously, yep. right? Yep. So no matter what, until you were able to be aware and start to integrate and heal those traumas, 
it yeah. would follow you no matter where you went. So basically the grass wasn't greener on the other side. Right. And, and we hope that it is right. And I, you know, this happens in relationships, right? Where it's like somebody gets in a relationship with somebody and they're like, you know, oh, it's, it's abusive. It's not healthy for me. So I'm going to dump his ass and I'm going to go for, oh, I found me a new man. And you know, he's better and he's does all of, but in fact, it's the same bullshit because you're attracting the same shit based on who you are. And, and yeah. And so what happens is we, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's like, it doesn't matter if it's Juan Carlos, Victor, <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. If you haven't healed you, you're going to start to create those patterns within the relationship that are familiar to you. Oh, that right? makes sense. So basically what you're saying is you're a magnet to that shit. Oh yeah. Right. Whether that person's black, white, it doesn't matter what culture they come from. Right. Cause we like to put labels on these Mexican men are like this and black men are like that and white men are like this and blah, 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 blah. However, what I'm hearing for those that are listening, if you don't, if we not aware of those issues and those traumas within us and without healing them, we're going to continue to be magnetized to those same characteristics that followed us from our childhood or whatever trauma that we didn't heal. Yep. Yeah, it gets in the way of our spiritual development, because I think part one of the the symptoms of this, at, at least culturally for me anyway, it was always someone else's fault. You know what I mean? It was playing placing blame on someone else for my misery, for my discomfort, for my like it was, oh, you know, it was because I came from a dysfunctional home. It was because I experienced abuse. At some point, you have to go, you know what? And I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. And this is going to be hard for some folks to hear. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Woo! That's a big one. That's a tough one. It is. That's, it yeah. is a tough one. To, so, to, to really think that it is. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's that shift for me was monumental because I did come from an abusive home. And, you know, it's like, why the fuck would anyone say to me that I chose that shit, that it happened to me for a reason? And I realize now in this spiritual journey that the opportunity that presented itself for me is to heal at this deepest level. And that for, for me is forgiveness, is the willingness to forgive. Now, let me tell you, forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. I'm not condoning what happened. I'm not saying that it should have happened. I'm not saying that it was the right thing to do. I'm not condoning it at all. What I'm saying is it happened because it provided me the opportunity to learn how to forgive at the deepest level. Yeah, that is a tough one. And that's really cool. Cool that you say that because um I just had a conversation with my mom, right? She calls me up. This is really cool. My mom actually calls me up now and says, Mijo, I had an aha moment. Well, she didn't say aha moment. She just comes <laughs> and says, hey, what are you doing? And then she said something strange. She said, you know what? So when I was younger, right, I was like, I don't know, third, fourth grade, right? My mom made us play sports, but we had a promise. If we play sports, we were going to continue it out, right? We had, to, we had to follow it. Now, she didn't. She made us try all the sports. And if we didn't like it, then we didn't have to play it. But if we started something, we had to finish right so one time i didn't want to go to practice right i didn't want to go to practice and i was kicking and screaming and crying and my mom being my mom right doing what she thought was necessary said fine of course whoop my ass right for not wanting to go you said you were gonna do this right having that commitment she made me go turn in my jersey okay to the team while they were practicing right embarrassing right? I'm, I'm crying. My mom makes me go on the field. I'm handing over my jersey to my, to my, um, to my coach saying, I don't deserve this, right? I'm happy to tell him that I'm not don't deserve this. And I'm sorry, but I have to quit the team because I didn't want to come to practice today, right? I'm crying. All my friends are on the field, right? And the coach is like, no, you could keep, you could keep the jersey. It's his. My mom's like, no, he doesn't deserve it, right? She's right there. Like, and then we go home, right? And then I had to carry this for a long time, right? And it's something that I had to forgive my mom for throughout time, right? Because it, I didn't realize it was connected to my commitments. But my mom said something really magical the other day. She called me up this morning. I was like, oh, are you still sleeping? I was like, yeah, but it's okay. I know you're calling and I, I love having these conversations. What's up? She said, you remember when I made you turn in your jersey? <laughs> wow. I said, yeah. She was like, I think that was, that had to do with commitment issues, mijo. I was like, commitment issues? She was like, yeah. She was like, I had, I had an issue with commitment issues and it leaked on over to you. I didn't want you to be that quitter. I didn't want you to be that. And so I took it out on you, right? So those commitment issues went from my mom down to me, right? Now we can track it back far as we want to. However, boom, in that instant right now, right? 
I forgave that a long time ago. And we, I worked through that, right? My emotional intelligence. I had to get deep down and say, why am I relationship so fucked up? Well, I had commitment issues too. Not realizing that it stemmed from certain things like that. But then for my mom to call me up and say, Mijo, I think it was stemmed to commitment issues, right? And I passed, I might have passed that down to you. I was like, oh my gosh, it released it let something off of me, right? Something I've been carrying for so long, even though I forgave it, but for her to recognize it in herself was amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Freaking amazing. Yeah, we we do that with our children. Um, you know, I've worked really hard. I, you know, I waited 18 years to have our daughter. My husband and I were together 18 years before we had her because I was, you know, being in the field of early education and specifically trauma, that was my work from, for a long time. I know that we tend to project our own shit onto our children. You know, it's like living our lives through our kids or, you know, like I said, our old stories and the things that get in the way of our peace of mind become a part of the struggle that we have with children. And, you know, the truth of it is, is that your children are the, are present themselves the way they do for you. Um, you know, it's like when they, when they trigger you, when they say things to piss you off, when, there are things <laughs> happening that um, are unsettling to you. It's because they're there to help you in your own healing. But most often parents aren't self-aware in that way. What they are, they, they get pissed off and they think the kid is trying to, you know, piss them off, get away with something, be manipulative, that sort of thing. When in fact, it's the opportunity for us as parents to grow. Now, having known that in the work that I did working in trauma, um, you know, we waited a very long time, 18 years to actually have her. And the reason is because I didn't want to repeat the generational cycle. It, it is what when we experience trauma, even with our best concerted efforts, um, our brain creates these neurosynaptic connections where it just becomes second nature for us to kick into what's familiar. And so I needed to make for damn sure that I wasn't going to repeat the same cycle that goes back generation upon generation. That's just how we are with our kids. That's how we raise our kids. And um, I, you know, I wanted something different for our daughter. Something different, right? And this yeah. is great because this transitions into my next one for me, right? right? Um, I, I read this book called The Four Agreements, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it something was in there that really, really, really touched me really harshly, right? Because we would think the role circumstances happen to us, not for us. Right. right. And it's taking things personally. Right. right? Um, don't take things personally. Right. So transitioning into this, right. In order for that forgiveness to happen, I had to go back and look and be like, wait a minute, my mom didn't personally do that to me. Mm -hmm. That wasn't her trying to harm me. That was her mechanism of survival. Right. It was her wiring it was her firing in her brain that said, Hey, this is how you handle this situation. Right. And she was trying to keep me alive by keeping me being able to keep my work so I don't be a quitter or whatever her reasons were, not realizing that she was doing damage to me in that moment. Right. But I had in order to help forgive or to accept. Right. And it's not for the other person. This is for us, because if I hold a grudge forever, somebody might have forgot about it. Right. My mom might have forgot about the whole time, but I didn't forget about that shit. Right. I didn't forget about it. But in an order to say, hey, wait a minute, how do I forgive this? How do I, how do I accept this? And how do I move forward? Well, it wasn't personal, mm -hmm. right? So often do we take things personally? Now, we don't know what's going on with people, right? I work in the hospitality industry, right? And people come in and they're annoying. They don't tip well, blah, 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 whatever, right? When I learned to not take that shit personally, right? It made my job that much more easier, right? When I learned not to take my boss yelling at me or my coworkers yelling at me or being whatever they are, not personally, it's something within them that wasn't me. Holy smokes, life opened up so much better, right? When I get cut off in the middle of the freeway going 80 miles an hour, why am I going 80 miles an hour? Because the speed limit was 75, okay? I'm not going 80 <laughs> to 60. <laughs> I'm not going 80 to 40, right? You gotta let us get that clear, you know? But it's not personal, but we get mad. That's where road rage comes from, right? I used to have really hectic road rage on the street, right? But I took that shit personally. Like that mother lover fucking cut me off on purpose. And then I want to go run him off the road. I don't know what he was going through. I don't know where he was going. I don't know if he was on his way to the hospital to go see if his child was okay because it fell out of a tree, right? Or his wife's about to have a baby. Or maybe he got shot and he's trying to get himself to the hospital, right? Why am I pissed off? He might not even know that he cut me off. 
-hmm. but that shit's not personal, right? So I want to say something there because um, I this was a lesson that I learned a long time ago. And when we had Gia, our daughter, um, she was a baby in the back seat, car seat, facing you know, be up back facing rear, what are they called rear facing car seat. So she's very very she's a baby. And I one of the practices that I started when I do get cut off or when you know some shit happens on the freeway because I spent a lot I spend a lot of time on the freeway going uh, to downtown Phoenix. And um, I would say out loud, I hope he gets where he needs to go in a hurry. You know, it's like sending out that it shifts my mindset instead of taking it personal, instead of filling in the blanks with the story that I'm creating, right? I just go, I hope he gets, he, he gets where he needs to go in a hurry, you know? And because I don't know the situation, I don't know the circumstance and we want to hold on to that. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned in there about forgiveness, um, resentment is something that runs in my family. I think resentment and holding on to grudges, I think it's, it's a part of my family culture, at least on one side of my family. And um, one of the things that I made for damn sure is that I wasn't going to hold on to old shit. Um, I saw for so many years, it's like when you ask one of the people who are feuding, like what happened? Nobody knows what the hell happened. They just know they don't like each other. They are talking to each other. They, they don't know the story. And so I, one of the things that I say to folks all the time is that um, resentment and holding grudges is basically drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so it has nothing to do with the other person. I mean, seriously, you said, I, I don't know how many times I've said this evening in my work at working with educators, it's like folks will go home on Friday and don't don't even know that you're pissed off at something. You hold on to that shit all weekend long. You're sitting just festering, right? Just angry about whatever happened. And they're at home having a good old time with their family. <laughs> so let that shit go. Do not take it personal. I think it's also a little egocentric. Not everything revolves around you. <laughs> not everything is about you. No, no, it is not right. And taking it personal and thinking about it, once again, we're creating that story, right? right? We're creating the story. And sometimes all it takes is communication, right? Mm -hmm. It takes to say, hey, you know what? Can we sit down and talk about this? Yeah. But for whatever reason, we're fearful, right? And that might have stemmed, once again, through generations. We can't go to our parents and talk to them, right? How many times have they said, you know what? You can tell me anything. I'm not going to get mad, right? But then you tell them something and then they get mad, right? No, I never had that, those parents. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have those. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute, you said it was safe, right? But it's only safe with limitations, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen here and there, you know what I mean? Uh, didn't happen too much in my home, right? But shit, when we got caught lying, you know, it was, and that's one of those things that like, I didn't mean to lie, but I was scared to get my ass whooped. So guess what we did? We lied, right? We lied. Why, why are you lying to me? Cause you're fucking scary mom. That's why. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I got really good at that. One of the things I come from a divorce family and my mom really seriously has some mental illness. And, um, and so even though my parents were divorced since I was two years of age, they had tried to get back together a few times within that, but, or after that, but um, there, she, she couldn't, she couldn't let go of the relationship. And so my dad had moved on, you know, he had other relationships and every single time I went home after the weekend, I was drilled. Who did, who was he with? Where did he go? What did you do? And you know, I was two when they got a divorce, I was 12 and 15 and 17 and still getting, you know, the questions. And unfortunately, because of her mental state, she couldn't separate what he did from us as children. And so she would be pissed off at me. I took the brunt of it. So I had to, I learned to very quickly lie. Um, the other thing that, that I did is, you know, I hid my husband and we were together. Um, I hid him for five years. And so, you know, when she would ask me where I was, cause he's black. So just as a side, I, I don't think I ever mentioned that, but my husband's black. And so, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, my mom was like, not okay. Actually, that's why she disowned me. So I actually haven't seen her. I've seen her once or twice, just because of funerals and things like that over 30 years. 
Um, but you know, she disowned me because my husband is black. And so she would ask those questions, you know, who are you with? Where did you go? And I had to very quickly lie in order to save my ass. So oh. hold on. You you hit was he your husband for five years? You hid your actual No, no, husband? no. He was my boyfriend. So interestingly okay. enough, I dated another black guy in high school. I I, I tend to attract black men. <laughs> but for, for um for three years I hid him in high school. So, you know, this was high school. So we were young, fifth, um, freshman through junior. Then my husband and I were friends that whole time, and then senior years when we got together. So when I went to college, my mom and I had a tumultuous relationship always, um, but through that senior year and four years thereafter. And so in one blow, I say it to my mom, I'm dating a black guy who I've been dating for five years. So all those times you suspected it, you were right. And second, I'm moving to <laughs> Texas with him and um, I'm getting married. <laughs> so, so somehow she knew, right? Well, she knew because, oh, now I'm getting into my old shit and I'm like, I'm, this is old high school stuff, but there were girls who were pissed that I was with him. And so they would call my house. They would, um, you know, drop hints with my mom that I was dating a black guy. Remember my mom even called my dad because I like had a closer relationship with my dad telling him that I was dating, you know, a black guy just to try to make that go. And I just didn't understand. I'm like, we're brown. Do you do you get that? Like, we are Mexican. And even though I get the the um you know the undercurrent between the races, like I I grew up around seeing that, right? But I yeah. didn't understand how she could be, she could have that view. I just I couldn't I couldn't understand it. Um, so let's talk about these little these women, these other women, right? They were taking it personal. Oh, yeah. You were doing something that was not allowed and they took it personal right. or maybe they wanted to do it and they were pissed off because you were like, F that I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. You were standing in your power and you decided to do something that they weren't willing to try. Right. And then they took it out on you. Right. In a sense, basically, that kind of sound yeah, right. Yeah, There was a girl who liked him and he chose me. Oh, I mean, even, more, one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> even more so, you know, fucking haters. Right. <laughs> you think about this, man. It's like. Holy smokes to think like personally, right? Resentment. He didn't want her. He wanted you, right? And then they go and tell on you, right? There's that personalization of stuff, right? It's. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really, it was a hard experience of life um, just to, it, it was like living in secret. Uh, prom, prom, uh, a white guy, one of our white friends picked me up. Came to my house. He was wearing my husband Kevin. He was wearing his vest. My my, he was Jack who picked me up was bigger than Kevin, so he was like squished into his cummerbund. <laughs> and he came and picked me up. We took pictures. Everything. We went around the corner to my tia's house. <laughs> was waiting there with Kevin, and and yeah, I went to prom with him. And so, it, you know, I ha I did a lot of lying, and I did a lot of lying because I knew that if I didn't, I was going to get my ass beat. And well, we'll so, call that you were very creative. <laughs> well, it was survival. It was survival. Yeah. Think about that. As I mentioned before, we disconnect our emotional state, right? So I was in a survival state because, you know, my husband and I have been together 30 years. So it wasn't just something that was passing. It's like I really wanted to work for this relationship. And, um, you know, it, that whole that whole idea of, you know, I was just trying to survive my situation because I didn't have a safe place. I didn't have a way to communicate with my mom. I didn't have that. And so not having that made me kick into the place of being detached. And I lived in chronic state of fear. So when I left home, and I, you, you had um, kind of reiterated this in when I was talking about it a few minutes ago, that when you leave home, the repetition of the cycle of our behavior and our experiences continue to happen. And that's true of a lot of things. It could be sabotaging ourselves. It could be not being, um, like you mentioned, in a committed relationship or being fearful of commitments. It could be about self-love and not loving yourself enough to speak your truth. It could be about being in, in um, emotionally destructive relationships, toxic relationships, but because you don't believe you're worthy, then more than that. I mean, there's so many things that stem from those early experiences. 
Yeah, well, so somebody listening right now, right, that that is probably might be a little lost or might things might be coming up for them. What, what are some things if they don't realize that they're spiritually being blocked, right? They don't realize that these even have anything to do with spirituality, right? What are some ways that could help them start to clear some of these issues out, right? What is something what well, what is something you would let them know that's an easy beginning step it, because they might be skeptical, right? Right. Well, what is something that could help them dip their toe into the water? You know, for me, it really is feel what you feel and stop fucking apologizing for it. You oh, know, yes. if you feel sad, feel it. Don't if you feel frustrated, feel it. Don't but feel own it. Don't say it's because he made me feel a certain way or this woman was rude to me. Own it. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling irritated. I'm feeling anxious. Own it. And when we own it, it doesn't have power over us anymore. And what happens is we lean into the experience, that emotional state, which is really uncomfortable for folks. And that's why we go to smoking and drinking and getting on our cell phones. Um, it's like we distract ourselves from our emotions. But if we lean into the experience, the power, the perceived power dissipates. And then what happens with the continued practice of leaning into it, you move through it quicker. So shit, I, I was pissed off earlier, but you know, by two, I was pissed off at like one fifty. by two o'clock, I was good, you know, because it, you learn that it, you get to make a choice on how you feel. Yeah, that is a really good one. You know what I mean? I think for too long, we hold on, right? That resentment, we take things personally, right? And we hold on to it like a rope that shit could be be pulling at 100 miles an hour we're holding on to it and it's burning our freaking hands and we don't realize that if we just let that shit go right instant relief right now the burns are might still be there but that's going to heal over time right but owning it right it wasn't you yeah it wasn't nice what you did to me right or what not right you punched me in my face or you cheated on me or you know what i mean you gave me a shitty tip right okay how does it make me feel? Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I mad? Process it. Own it. It wasn't, it's not them. I'm the, I feel the way I feel because I feel this way, right? Right. I feel this way. And something inside of you pissed me off or triggered me. So how do I make that trigger less touchy next time? Right. Right. And yeah. own it. Like that's, that's, and I think that's tough for people to do, right? It's hard to say, you know what? I have an issue. That's on me, right? They, I think they think it's, it's always the outside world, right? They want to blame somebody. We live in a world where it's reactive and it's always somebody else's fault, right? We're, we're, we're this way because God made us this way. He, we were born in sin because God wants us to, to spend the rest of our lives on our hands and he's begging for forgiveness, right? right. We don't get paid well because the owner of this business is just a shitty business owner, right? Well, you have the opportunity to go work for a different business. You have the opportunity to own your life, right? You have the opportunity to own your power, step into it and make a change, right? You have the opportunity to be that person that deserves 100K a year, right? You're that, you have the opportunity to become that person that's lovable, right? But do you love yourself? Can you look in the mirror and be happy with who you are? Are you attached to that emotional intelligence? Are you able to feel it and then let it go and not hold on to it? Are you able to forgive your mom for making you turn in your jersey, right? And then when she picks up the phone, you don't hold that resentment. And then she says, hey, mijo, you know, and then they have that conversation and accept it for who she is, right? Are, you able, are we able to do that? I think that's where that power lies. Yeah. The moment you blame someone else, you actually do give your power away. <sighs> you give that power to someone else. You make them control of your control over your feelings, and so taking that power back is empowering because you realize that you get to choose. There was something else that you shared that um, I, I it's one of my spiritual um, beliefs, feelings, teachings that have been instrumental to me. <clears throat> it's that growing up in a religious background, and I we weren't overly religious. When I say that, I think it's more culture than it was religion. But the idea that God is going to judge, that was a big one, that God is outside. And, and the way that I envision it, even to this day, until, you know, I become aware that I'm doing it, it's like God in this throne, right? And it's like, you know, I'm here to judge you and you need to work harder than you've ever worked before 
to earn my love, right? God fearing is what I heard as an more as an adult than as a child. But the idea that there's judgment in that. And one of my greatest lessons and the greatest understanding that I try that I live in, I'll try, I live in this every day is recognizing that I don't have to earn love. That I don't have to earn God's love or anybody else's love. And I say this to my daughter, I've said it to her since the time she was born, you are loved because you exist. End of story. Not what you did or didn't do, what you said or what you should have said. None of that shit matters. You are loved because you exist. You are loved. And we'll get into God and what we believe God is, I think, in another podcast. But this idea that it isn't God isn't a punishing God, but rather all encompassing, encompassing. <laughs> sounds funny when it's coming out of out of my mouth, but it it is God is love, and you don't have to earn it in any relationship. It's a given, you know, and that that you brought up an interesting point is like trying to, what would God think, right? What would God think? How about this one? Because we grew up in families, right? That what is your family going to think? Right. What is your mom going to think? What is your dad going to say? What would your grandma say? Right. It's like they put that on us and they make us do decisions that we typically wouldn't want to do because we're trying to please the family. Right. Like, wait a minute. I don't want to do this. When I go and do something I really don't want to do, I'm giving my power away because I didn't say no. No was a complete mother loving sentence. Right. Right. We, we do that with our jobs too. When our jobs call us up and they say, Hey, we want you to pick up the shift. And then I'm just like, no. Then they want an excuse. Why? It's like, I don't need to give you an excuse. Right. I'm just saying no, because I want to say no. Right. Right. But that's passed down to us throughout our generations. Right. What would God think? God doesn't like people that call into work. God wants you right to pick up the slack of somebody else that they're dropped dead. Right. I was like, what? He wants me to pick that up and put it on my shoulders? Who said that? Right. Right. Who told you that? Who? What? That's, this, I see it this way. It's like, this is your business. You figure it out. Right? right. You decided to make the decisions. Why are you putting it on my shoulders? But then again, there's people wanting you to carry stuff for them. Right. That's why our parents put stuff on us, not knowing, wanting us to carry certain things. Right. You carry that family name. And you don't put no shame on it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I'm going to, how about I just drop that name and I create a whole new one. So then when I make it over here and I do something different, when you were telling me I couldn't, and now I'm being praised because it turned out to be lucrative, (laughs) right? It's like, oh, I always knew you were going to make it. Oh, did you? (laughs) Right, right. Did you? Yeah, we attach a lot of our, I think our engagement and our expectations of behavior are attached to love. You know, it's like when you do something that pleases me, I love you. The moment you do something that I don't accept or that I'm not pleased by, I withhold love. And so we start to see love as a condition of an experience or a circumstance, as opposed to it being just as it is. It is who we truly are. It is. um, And when we can align with that, we can show up in this day-to-day experience being love we can in everything we do and everything that we say but because we have this belief system at a deep i think unconscious level that i have to somehow earn love or that i'm not worthy of love and i have to tell you that that's bullshit it's bullshit you are love yeah you know it took me a while to really believe that you know what i mean i didn't realize that i was working so hard right I was punching somebody off the clock, building their dreams because I wanted their approval. I wanted their love. I wanted them to tell me that I was the greatest ever, right? right? And I think about where does that stem from, right? Well, it stemmed from wanting to get good grades. So my mom would be like, yes, mijo, you're the best. You could do anything you want in your life. But my mom already knew that inside of me, right? So I wanted it from my dad, mm-hmm. right? Because my mom, I knew she was going to love me all the time. But even there, you have this thing in the back of your mind says, well, your mom's probably going to love you just because she's your mom and she's never going to tell you anything. But my mom has done things in my lifetime to support me through all the decisions I made. I know she unconditionally loves me, right? right? But because I didn't feel that from my father, I worked my ass off, right? Night and day for somebody else, building somebody else's dream that wasn't 
just like him, right? I created that. I did the work knowing, you know, what, I'm not going to get praise for this anyways, or I'm not going to get the love anyways, but I'm going to try, right? And I burnt myself out working for mother lovers, punching the clock that I'm just disposable, right? But they make you feel like you're not disposable, right? They, they tell you everything you need, so you keep working. But the minute you decide to pick up that phone and say, yeah, I'm not going to pick up that shift. Oh, now you're disgruntled, right? Oh, wait a minute. It's like, holy shit. But why did it, it, it took me about 37 years on this planet to understand that I wasn't working hard because I wanted to work hard. I was working hard because I was looking for that love, right? I was looking for right. the outlet. I was, that was a way of getting that, oh, yeah, you're amazing. But until I realized that once I decided to say no, that love shifted, I was like, you mother lover. This shit was conditional this whole time. <laughs> oh. You know, that, I think that's a really big topic, um, the big topic around no and um, setting boundaries and limitations um, mm. and, and speaking up for what it is that you really want and what you really need, uh, because we are conditioned, I think, to uh, want to, because of the, the absence of understanding that you are love regardless, I think mm -hmm. because of that, we're continually seeking that um approval and that acceptance and so maybe that should be our next topic because we are Ooh. we are up on time look at that um, look how that works out <laughs> i know Isn't that crazy i think i think it's something we really need to talk about i know so many people just have a very difficult time um speaking their truth and or even coming to terms what it is that their that their truth is right to even understanding it again because we're so disconnected from um you know who we truly are yeah. all right so thank you all for being with us for this is podcast number three right number trace yes, yes. it is holy smokes <laughs> <laughs> so we will see you next time you really are